Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum. So glad you joined me today. My guest on today's show, you know from a bunch of different groups, a bunch of different tag teams, Undisputed Era, Red Dragon, it's Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish is returning to MLW Thursday, February 29th at the Melrose Ballroom in Long Island City, MLW Intimidation Games 2024. Bobby Fish will be taking on Alex Kane, who, if you're not familiar with him, the suplex assassin, he's got all sorts of technical things that he can do as well. So really interesting match, really interesting fight, as they like to say in MLW. The, the, the styles make the fight, and that should be a good one. We got to talk to Bobby all about kind of his beginnings in wrestling, where he's going now, and also some of his favorite uh, moments in the business as well. So here we go with my interview with Bobby Fish. So pleased to be joined today by the man who's taking on Alex Kane at MLW Intimidation Games 2024 at Melrose Ballroom on February 29th. It's Bobby Fish. Bobby, thank you for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, sir. Thank you. Uh, appreciate you having me. And um, yeah, super, uh, super excited about what we got going on. So you're back in MLW now. What, do you, what are your thoughts on getting in the ring with a pretty darn good technical wrestler in Alex Kane in MLW? Um, I'm quite, you know, I, Alex Kane, uh, this has been a long time, uh, coming. And when, uh, it was first on my radar, I, I really didn't know much about Alex, uh, in, in the past year. Um, not only have I, have I met him, uh, but I've learned quite a bit more about him and it's just made it more, um, you know, more appetizing. He's uh, he's doing big things. Former MLW uh, champion. He's got a ton of um, momentum just from a, a young guy coming up standpoint. And MLW is is doing all good things as well. So for him to be the piece of that puzzle that he is, and uh, for MLW to be uh, doing what they're doing, like it's just yeah, it all all just converges properly um to be uh to be a big match and it's and it's just you it seems like on this run right now with mlw no groups really so you know how, how does that kind of change things for you when because uh, obviously you're a very prolific tag team wrestler and have been involved with some pretty big groups uh, in your career too yeah um it you know it's uh, a little bit different mindset you're you're the show um you're not a piece of the puzzle, which, um, I, you know, I, I kind of um, I, I think change and differences is good uh, for everyone. And being able to just do something different um, sort of piques your interest again. It, it, it wets, wets your appetite for like, oh, man, you know, I, I do really still love doing this. Um, so it's uh it's i welcome it you know i i feel like at this point i i am kind of uh doing a a lot of stuff solo and uh and i'm enjoying it and you mentioned before some of the things that mlw is doing they they look to be they're looking to put some more dates on the schedule in 2024 i know they've got orlando i think they've got chicago on the calendar in addition to their regular stops in new york and philly what do you like about working in MLW and what's your history with uh, Court Bauer like? Court Bauer and I go way back um, and have always uh, gotten along very, very well. So to be able to work for Court is um, 
you know, it's uh, it's everything I would want in a, uh, a situation and and a, a quote unquote um, boss because we do have history. So I know who I'm working for. And uh, that makes it easier to want to go out and produce not only, you know, you have pride in yourself as a performer, um, but to want to go out and produce for that person as well, you know, kind of like a, a, a player coach dynamic. Um, you know, I played college athletics and stuff. So there were certain coaches that like you wanted to play as well for them as, as you did for yourself. And um, I, I liken that a bit to the way things are with MLW and, uh, and Court Bauer. Yeah. When he first got started, going with MLW again, he and I talked and I said to him, like, like I've always kind of known who you were, but I, I, I had no idea really how you got into the wrestling. And then I'll kind of learn <laughs> that, like sort of his path through with the Samoans and through WXW. Yeah. And then I think he was with you probably in ROH for a little while there uh, as well for, I think Court was over there for a little while. Yeah. Court. Well, th- I think that that's what makes Court, uh, so valuable too is that he is well traveled and he has come up you know nothing was necessarily handed to him or given to him um and you bring up wxw and you bring up you know that family and that's you know i mean you look at probably the the biggest storyline going right now for the past two years has been the bloodline let's be honest and and that's a, a literal and a figurative um mention in in that you know it's it's one of the top things that wwe is pushing right now but it's it's so based in reality mm-hmm. um so for anybody to be a, a part of that court being such um yeah. like it just it, it automatically gives you credibility that other people don't have um and it you know the cloth with with which they're coming from you know yeah. you're you're not gonna get by in that family or with those people in wrestling if if you're not um you know if you're the guy that that when you have some time to yourself you just kind of lean back and ah, i'm gonna take it easy like no you got to be a go-getter and that's that's who court power is you mentioned, you know, having that respect from, you know, kind of where you come up in wrestling. You broke into the business with someone I know pretty well, Tony DeVito in uh, in Newburgh, New York. Uh, what was your journey like breaking in and what kind of a mentor is and was uh, Tony? Uh, I actually just spoke to Tony yesterday or maybe the day before. So just, just a glimpse into who he is. You know, he didn't just um, train me and, and then that was it. And, you know, take my money and see you later. Like Tony's been a, a friend and a, and a mentor and a, a confidant, uh, for years. Um, somebody I could always call and ask for really anything. I mean, advice, um, you know, <laughs> anything to, to be honest. And Tony's been such an essential part of my journey. Um, it wouldn't, it, it literally wouldn't, uh, exists if it were not for Tony DeVito. So I can't, um, I can't give him enough credit to be honest. I, and I didn't really realize until I was doing some research for this, that he was actually in ring of honor at the time that, uh, he was training you guys. Uh, that was when he was in the, uh, uh, the carnage crew and the, and, and that, the 
that whole uh, thing around oh three oh four ish. That that was around that time. Yeah, and and it, you know it really kind of shaped um, my journey in the early years for sure because it was through that and then going to the shows and watching Tony perform and seeing what Ring of Honor was that like I was exposed to independent wrestling because prior to that being a kid from upstate New York you know like all I knew was I knew the NWA which would eventually become WCW and of course you knew WWF at the time um but I didn't even understand what indies and stuff were and and so to see something that was uh, raw and rugged and uh, kind of underground and coming up itself at the time, watching guys like Samoa Joe and AJ Styles um, turn into who they would become, uh, Brian Danielson, Jay Briscoe, like, you know, um, to see that uh, and to, to know my trainer was a part of that as well. Uh, I knew that like I was getting the training that I needed um, from the, the person I needed to get it from. And then it also, um, it kind of left me with some unfinished business when it came to ring of honor, you know, to like that. I, it, it became a goal to, to get back to ring of honor in, in a working capacity at some point, um, you know, and at that time you couldn't have told me that I wasn't ready, but <laughs> there's no way I was ready for that. Yeah, for me, it's cool to see. I I live in the Mid Hudson Valley, so it's it's cool to see you're obviously from north of uh, of me. But just talking to some of those guys and hearing some of the names, I was talking to Hale Collins yesterday, and he's like, "Oh yeah, our class was uh, was us and the Outcast Killers and Cheech and Cloudy and Scott Cardinal and, and yeah." He was mentioning obviously Jeff Leibolt's kind of involvement early on and that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's, just, it's it's funny to me to see how it all connects and uh, yeah, it really is. It, it's and it's cool to obviously still see you doing your thing too. What's it mean to you to look at the top of that card you're on MLW at Melrose? You're a veteran. You got Satoshi Kojima and Minoru Suzuki in a match for the MLW Heavyweight Championship. Lots of, lots of other cool opportunities with crossovers and stuff right now, especially with MLW, too. Well, that's what I think is so exciting about being someplace like MLW right now is that there's just endless possibilities because of the relationships that um, they continue to foster with other companies and with other talent. Um, you, t you mentioned Minoru Suzuki, you mentioned Kojima. Like, I mean, they are absolute Japanese legends of wrestling. Um, I've worked with both. I've been fortunate enough to uh, at times cross paths with them in Japan and um, they're total pros, they're total legends and that they're, they're everything that they seem to be, you know, Minoru Suzuki, his stretch goes far beyond pro wrestling. Right. Um, the line in, in the, the, the line that's drawn between uh, shoot and work in Japan is a very, very blurry one. And um, Minoru Suzuki has, I mean, he's the poster boy for, for that concept and, and the way that it is a little bit different in Japan in that way. And uh, so for these, you know, when I saw the, the card, if you're a fan of, of wrestling, uh, if you're a fan of MMA, if you're a fan of, of uh, Japanese wrestling, um, for you to not 
make it either to this show or, or catch it on Triller, um, I, I don't know what you're doing because this is this is rare. You're somebody who that line I, – I love when that line can be blurry, and I think it can be in the U.S. too. It doesn't have to just be Japan. Japan has a unique history only because it's like sometimes you'd have the same – you'd have shoot and work kind of on the same cards, and you'd have to just kind of yeah. figure it out too. But uh, I, I kind of like it when you can have somebody like a Suzuki. I, I love watching Suzuki, and every like everything he does is so credible and so real. Quite frankly, it just—it's just you believe in him while you're watching, even if you don't believe anything else on the card. You know, mm-hmm. he gets in there and he starts like, like, what is it like to be? You mentioned having been in the ring with those guys before. What, what's what's it like physically to be in the ring with them? Um, I think uh, you, you, yeah, you're, it's unpredictable, but in the best way possible, and. I, for me, because martial arts has been a part of my life since I was a kid, um, I I love it. You know, that's how I would that's how I would choose to do this industry um, as often as I can. I I, I liken it to um, you know other guys that I think prefer uh, Kyle O'Reilly is one that comes to mind that yeah, I mean he'd prefer for there to be no daylight. Jay Briscoe is another guy. Um, Brian Danielson, you know, so when that possibility is is a variable that's <clears throat> in consideration, <clears throat> you know, personally, I just think it makes it makes it better. And and as a fan, I, I can't imagine how much better that makes it because it it is that unpredictability. It it almost can't be given a dollar value. Yeah, they always say styles create fights, and uh, you know that's that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we have in this situation. You had such a unique path. Uh, you, you spent some time in NOAA. You spent some time in New Japan. Obviously, your run in ROH runs in NXT and AW. How did the Japanese scene specifically fit you, and how did it sort of change, or did it change the style that you uh, that you uh, work? Um. So martial arts being something that I always wanted to blend in, it, there's a natural kind of dots connected there. But what I've realized many years later was that much of my ability to quote unquote work and like figure it out and, and not, not get, um, not, not get uh, frantic and kind of keep my cool came from working in pro wrestling Noah, because at that time um, I was still learning how to do this business and every rep was important, but because I was doing it there on such a high level, um, there wasn't a lot of room for error, but at the same time, you, you know, kind of had to figure it out. And there's a language barrier. So you, uh, I don't know how to, uh, you know, what, what name to give it exactly, but like there's a physical sort of communication that you begin to develop. And I look back and realize that that's, you know, years, um, you know, five through 10 is when I was developing that. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but that's stuff that still serves me to this day. You know, it's stuff that I lean on literally every time that I uh, do pro wrestling. 
The MMA and kickboxing and Muay Thai influences in your work are, are evident for anybody that's going to watch you. Um, what do you still, do you still train in some of that stuff now? Uh, and how did, how did that kind of come to be where, I, I don't know whether that started before wrestling, did, if your, if your martial arts started before you got into pro wrestling, or if it's kind of, kind of sort of just developed as you got more interested in it. Um, no, uh, martial arts was long before pro wrestling. I started Taekwondo when I was eight. So, wow. um, I kind of never stopped doing some form of it. Um, all the way up to this day, um, I still train Muay Thai pretty regularly. Um, my daughter, uh, my wife and I have an 11-year-old who she started jiu-jitsu and kickboxing. Um, my wife and I were just talking about it last night because uh, she sparred last night. And, you know, we just – so it's, um, it's, it's something that I think I'll do – the rest of my life in in some capacity um still uh interested in in uh taking fights as well um you know i did uh i haven't done a kickboxing fight in in some time but we've been close uh but i just did a uh boxing match last november i think it would have been last november um in dubai and so like yeah i mean i, I still try to stay active and and if the if the price is right you know for sure um it's it's it'll never not be an interest of mine it's got to be pretty fun as a parent to see your your child getting uh, interested in it and and like you said sparring for the first time what, what what's it like to be in that situation where you're, where you're watching that um you know it you're because I know the other side of it and I know the process that's involved, um, I, I can watch it, I think, with a little bit more patience because I realize, like, it is – it's a process, much like pro wrestling. So you have to be in the process and not – and that requires patience. Um, so I, I try to watch it with that uh, in mind. And then I also, I, I do my best to back up and let her experience jujitsu and kickboxing for herself. This isn't my experience. I had mine and continue to have mine. Um, and I realize as a parent, like there are certain things that can come from the coach that if they come from you, they're not landing. So it's better, you know, to, to kind of hands off and, and let the coach do his job. That's, that's why he's there. Yeah, very good. Backtracking a little bit, because I had one other person I wanted to ask you about with your uh, kind of your development into wrestling. And he's always mentioned alongside your name with training, too, was Harley Race. And I was kind of wondering what the connection with him was and how that, uh, how, how that was for you. Harley um, was how Noah came to be for me. Um, oh, so okay. it was it was early on. Tony had had trained me officially, um, and I started working <clears throat> independence and stuff like that. And then um, it was through working with Harley that um, I was exposed to people from Noah, and they were interested in bringing me over. Um, so. Uh, Harley was kind of my uh, like broker for that. But then um, 
you know, we hit it off, uh, got along really, really well. So I continued to do work with Harley. And when I was in Eldon, um, I would do some training with Harley. Uh, so I, you know, I mean, it's Harley race. Yeah. How can you not benefit from all of that, uh, experience and, and just the man that he was, you know, Harley was, he was definitely, um, one of the last of the the dying breed, so to speak, in that, you know, Harley was, if he was anything, he was a man. And it's funny, too, when you look in wrestling history, because there's always that the, the previous generation always looks at the next generation is like, oh, that's not wrestling, you know, whatever. And it's funny to me that anybody could have ever looked at Harley Race and seen anything but, you know, credible pro wrestling and just a hard, you know, tough guy that got in there and, you know, didn't give you, you know, gave you no quarter. He was just, he was just so, yeah. it was such a pleasure to watch him wrestle. And, you know, yeah, you had your silly spots like the rocking chair on the rope and some of that kind of stuff. Too. Sure, sure. But, you know, man, did he know how to, you know, kind of blur that line, like you said, between, you know, the, yeah. you know, the, the tough guy kind of stuff and still needing to be entertaining to, to an audience too. Like, what do you learn most from Harley when you when you're kind of sitting under his learning tree? Um, to take, you know, it's it's interesting that you say the the spot on the ropes, like the rock and chair thing, because he, you know, I I think what I gleaned the most from the experience was like taking it serious, like it's the wrestling business for a reason, um. And at the end of the day, that's that's what it comes down to. And and for them at the time, that's literally what it came down to. You know, that's how they were putting food on their tables. Um, and I think some of that gets lost a little bit today. Uh, but what I do love <clears throat> is you you bring up the rock and chair spot with Harley and and how that kind of juxtapositioned who he was. And then I think of a guy like Kyle O'Reilly, who Kyle is another one who, um, you know, he, he will tie you up like a pretzel if, if he, if, if pushed to that level, but he's such a sweetheart of a, <clears throat> such a sweetheart <clears throat> of a human being. And Kyle found a way, uh, and I know Kyle had some exposure to Harley also. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Kyle will pull, you know, the knobby need uh, Terry Funk cell out of nowhere and um, it <laughs> or he'll he'll you know, he'll he'll walk down the end of the apron and take a face plant off the off the ring. Um, and it kind of comes out of nowhere. And I, I think that some of that stuff is is it's what made Harley great. Um, and it inspires and influences, you know, a guy still working today, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, who uh, and and dare I say, like it adds a, a layer and an element to him that um, makes him super unique, and same same as it did for Harley. What was it like teaming with Kyle? Kyle, Kyle, I will say is probably my brother's favorite wrestler, and you know, mm. just all the, all the subtleties and the stuff that he does, even the subtle humor that he throws in sometimes that you don't catch. Yeah. Like I still have in my phone a. a freeze frame of him doing my compliments to the chef when you guys were having that dinner and it's just his face looking ridiculous <laughs> that my, my brother yeah. said back and forth to each other sometime but what, what's, what's it like working with Kyle what's it like working with your friends like you did with NXT and and so many other places um you know working with those three in NXT um was 
more than we could have ever asked for, to be honest. Um, so when that came together the way that it did, um, it, it truly became, you know, we were, we were working hard. Uh, and that's what we all wanted to be. We wanted to be the workhorses of that brand. Um, and getting that opportunity, you know, so grateful for that. But to get the, that opportunity and to do it all together, um, you know, I don't I don't think any of us could have predicted that. So uh, certainly something we look at now as as realizing how fortunate and, and uh, just trying to be grateful for for what it was. Um, so tagging or being in a group with those guys, it was like, you know, for four years, I didn't I didn't go to work. I got paid like I was going to work, but there was no real work involved. Everything was, um, you know, was kind of boys locker room sort of thing. Um, and I think that that's why it worked as well as it did for us. I, th I think Hunter recognized what was there and he just, you know, turned up the volume on it and then gave us a little bit of direction here and there so that it, it was somewhat um, in in line with with what he saw but there really was you know what you see is is what you get for the most part with with us and and what we were there for nxt um and then as far as just tagging with kyle like yeah you you hit the nail on the head that his quirky sense of humor will blindside you in the best way possible um you don't see it coming and when it does sometimes you'll you'll miss it and you got to go back and watch the tape and then you go wait a second what the hell is he doing um but yeah he's full of surprises and uh i i wouldn't change that human being uh for anything Nice. Um, we're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. Yes, First question, what is the sickest submission you could slap on a guy in real life if you had to? Hmm. Probably the twister. Um, I think there's only two recorded. I believe there's only two in, in the UFC. I'm not sure of uh, the record in all of MMA, but uh, the twister basically um, – like splits somebody in half. Uh, it it a little bit similar to the banana split, which is another one that uh, I don't know. Uh, they they seem to like uh, draw and quarter a person. <laughs> so Whoa. those are pr pretty pretty vicious. All right. Uh, second question. Aside from Bobby Fish, who has the best mustache in professional wrestling? Whew. Oh man. Um. Who would it be? Who would it be? I don't know. I think it's just me. <laughs> I, I did get to ask that question to Magnum TA a few weeks ago too, and he, oh. he he basically said it's just him. It's like it's him and Jake Roberts, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah, you know what? Now that I think of it, if we're going all of wrestling, like Magnum's mustache was the stuff of legend. So um, yeah, for the sake of time, I, let's go with Magnum. And see, like, it's even bigger than it was like in his heyday now, too. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like 45% of his face. Um, and then last question, if you had to show someone three Bobby Fish matches, what would you show them? Um, I really uh, – I'm, I'm very partial to AOP versus the Undisputed Era in Philadelphia. Um, 
that was, you know, for a kid that grew up on the NWA and, and watched many uh, uh, Road Warriors versus uh, Tully and Arn matches to to basically be in a similar scenario and have Paul Ellering walking around outside the ring um, was kind of like a kid just living out his, uh, his childhood, you know, some of the VHS tapes that I had worn out on uh, a Saturday afternoon. Um, so that one is, is really special to me. Um, any of the war games matches they're they're pretty special to me. Um, I, I had a open weight, uh, title defense by uh, Katsuyori Shibata in in New Japan that was uh, special to me. It was it was them you know seeing uh, just trusting that I could I could um, carry that workload. Um, God, there's a bunch of um, either New Japan or Ring of Honor matches with Kyle and I versus the Young Bucks versus Mark and Jay Briscoe. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I guess I didn't do a very good job of narrowing it down. There's no rules. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's a few. All right. Uh, February 29th, Thursday night, Bobby Fish versus Alex Kane, MLW Intimidation mm. Games 2024. It's also on Trailer Plus. Uh, it's at the Melrose Ballroom, Long Island City. Bobby Fish, thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, sir. I really uh, enjoyed it myself. And on February 29th, uh, Alex Kane and I will be um, changing what my answer would have been um, to that last question. That, uh, that evening, I, I uh, guarantee you that this will not be um, for the faint of heart, and uh, it will not be something you want to miss. Um, Alex Kane's a high-level athlete. I'm a high-level athlete, and we're, we're going to get after it. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, sir. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me this week on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Bobby Fish for joining us this week. Also, I'd like to thank Sean Graben from MLW for the help setting up this interview. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring for the latest guest announcements, and have a great week, everyone. Mm-hmm.